0: That's an apple, am I right? We're all on the same page so far? apple looks just like an apple. That's a big apple, okay? The fruit of the Spirit. So that is a piece of fruit, okay? Now, we want to analyze the fruit a little bit, okay? Why does Paul choose the word fruit of the Spirit? He could have just said these are characteristics of a Christian. These are parts of the personality of a Christian. When he's walking with the Spirit, he chose the word fruit. And oftentimes I will uh, point to these illustrations in scripture to this idea of growing, of um, organic growth, about gardening and growing, because the Lord Jesus uses it a lot in his stories. It's all throughout scripture, this idea of us sort of being a garden where the Holy Spirit can grow within us, but we need to have fertile soil, all of that. I've mentioned it many times, and it's worth repeating over and over, right, because we're all forgetful people, all of us, and we need to be reminded of that but if we're going to learn and to grow and serve then we need to kind of keep that illustration in mind but here is a piece of fruit now why would he choose fruit so first of all right fruit is the product of growth right it is the last result of a tree that's growing up say an apple tree it is what is at the end of those branches those little uh, branches that come out it is the piece of fruit now what about it it's colorful So it's attractive because it's colorful. It's usually sweet. A piece of fruit is normally sweet, right? So it has a great smell, a sweet aroma. It tastes sweet, so it's attractive because of that, right? So there's many different um, qualities of a piece of fruit that would draw people to it. And we know in nature, right, uh, animals come and eat the fruit. And why? Because of all those same characteristics. But then you notice that we kind of have to not only take the outside but then look inside, this is kind of what our passage is talking about, the fruit of the Spirit within us. So the next picture you'll see is an apple, and it is, but yeah, they the same apple, right? That's what I'd normally do, unless you're going to, I like to peel mine and then eat it. I'm not crazy about the peel, but anyway, I don't know if some of you do that. But uh, it's, I know, I'm sorry, but I do it. I should eat the skin. I'm sorry. But, you know, I've gotten really good at taking that peeler, and I can go around the apple, and in one shot, I can just get the whole thing, you know? It's fun. All right, I'll start eating the skin. Okay. <clears throat> Where was I now? No, that's right. So what you notice on the inside, right, you have the sweet parts, so you open it, it's even, there's even more aroma. But you also notice there's something in the middle. There's a seed, right? And so what happens when, let's say, an animal comes along and eats a piece of fruit, They're going to eat the seed as well, and then the seed gets dispersed. Or if the apple falls, right, the seed either gets picked up by the wind or it goes into the ground, and what happens? There's more growth, right? So, because of what's on the inside, because there's a seed there, and because it's really attractive on the outside, there's a seed on the inside that promotes new growth, right? Be fruitful and multiply, you see, because. That word fruit is chosen for a reason. But see, it's supposed to be the same for us. That we're supposed to be attractive to the world around us, not because of necessarily the things we do, but because of Christ within us. See, and it's the Holy Spirit in us right, that is making us attractive to the world so that as we go and plant seeds, right, those seeds will spread and there will be growth. That's like disciples making disciples. See, that's the whole pro- the growth process. Be fruitful and multiply, and so we need to see that that there is a reason that Paul chooses that word fruit. But here is probably the most important thing I can say about that in uh, in, in that passage in Galatians um, Galatians five twenty two to twenty three, and I am going to read it in a second, and you can actually put it up now about the fruit of the spirit. Notice what it says. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. If you go back to the first slide, you're going to see, it says the fruit of the Spirit. Notice, it is the fruit of the Spirit. It is not our fruit that we produce as we try really hard to follow God. What this simply means is that as we surrender ourselves to the Holy Spirit's leading, He is the one that will produce His fruit in us. It is not the fruit of us. It is the fruit of the Spirit. See that? That's so important that we get that. It's like so elemental to living the Christian life. Because we also have to recognize it's the fruit of The Spirit, so it is the Spirit within us. It is something that goes way beyond the natural. We just saw a natural like piece of fruit and apple. It is supernatural. Did you know that you all have superpowers? Did you realize that? You do. And they're within you. But we have to allow. The way we tap into it is we allow the Holy Spirit to lead. He doesn't just automatically do His thing despite us. We have to let Him lead. We have to give Him that permission By being obedient to the Lord and surrendering our heart to His and our will to the Lord's will. So it is a supernatural life that we lead as Christians. And I think that's one of the main reasons that we can often stumble through seasons of living the Christian life. Is because we try to live it naturally when the Christian life is a supernatural life. And it's supernatural because of the Holy Spirit within us. And it's His fruit as we surrender to Him and obey the Lord. It's His fruit that is going to come out. So that is what we're going to look at this morning. Each of these pieces of fruit. You notice that it's just fruit, not fruits. I think it's because all these are supposed to go together. So let's spend just time briefly looking at each one of these. The first one listed is love. And I do believe that it's significant that it's the first one listed, right? Because and we're going to see some scripture here that in a second. That I think everything else revolves around this one. Love is like the foundation; it's that fertile soil out of which all the other fruit grow. You see that we need to have that fertile soil in order to something to grow healthy and strong. And I think love is listed first is because we know throughout Scripture, First Corinthians thirteen, right? If we don't have love, right, then we got to start there, right? Everything else, you know that whole passage, and so uh, we have truly nothing if we don't have love first. So he lists love first. Love as the first fruit. You know, Jesus Christ is um, is, um, is uh, the first fruit, right? And he is explained that way in Scripture. And so love is listed first. It is certainly the ground and foundation from which all others grow. You know, you've probably heard this before, but we know in the English language we pretty much have one basic word, Uh, for this idea of love and it is love right so love that word in the english language encompasses a lot Uh, but we know in the greek language and even in the hebrew um, there is but here in the greek in this passage in galatians there are many different nuances many different words to describe love right there's a brotherly love phileo which we get philadelphia the city of brotherly love right there's um what are some of the others right Agape, this is the one that's listed here, agape love. It's like a love of surrender, of giving yourself over, right? There's, uh, there's words for passionate love, right? There's different words, see, in the Greek language um, to express different kinds of love. And so it's important we realize that. And so as we read this passage, the fruit of the Spirit is love, The word that's used there is the word for agape love, that kind of love, which really is all about um, giving yourself over. It's about surrendering. It's about this idea of it's not about you, it's about the other. You see, it's that complete surrender of yourself. And so that's why he lists that here, because the fruit of the Spirit is love, that if we're walking by the Spirit, we are going to show love. We're not only going to show love, we're going to be loving. See, so there's a difference there in each one of these, right? From just being, you know, showing love to being a loving person because of Christ within you. Let's look at um, three, um, three verses of Scripture quickly. These are all in 1 John. So if you want to open up, it'll be in there. Just one chapter after the other, just one verse in each chapter. Uh, a great book to look at um, if you want to study this idea of love. Uh, in Scripture, but look at First John. They'll be up on the screen for you. First John three eleven says this. First John three eleven. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. That's the whole message, loving one another. Now, if you look um, at chapter four, verse eight, it says this. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. So God not only loves or teaches us how to love, He is love. It is His nature and His being. And then also, First John 5, the next chapter, verse 3, 5 3, For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments. And His commandments are not burdensome. So how do we show love to God? We keep His commandments. What does the Lord Jesus teach us? If we love Him, we will obey Him. So love is listed first. It is that first fruit, the foundation, right? The soil through which all the others grow. Some good verses to, to, uh, to go along with it. So let's move on because we want to cover all nine of these. So first he lists love and he says the fruit of the Spirit is love. And joy, the next one is listed as joy. Now this can often get um, confused with happiness. And I think most of us would understand the difference. That um, happiness tends to be circumstantial, but joy is not. True joy, joy within us because of the Spirit, because God living within us. Joy is not based on our circumstances. We can be going through a storm of life, but still have true and inner joy because of the Lord. There's two events uh, in uh, in the life of a person that I think uh, really come to mind for me, at least, when I think of joy, and that would be weddings and Christmas. Right? What happens at Christmas? There's a lot of joy there because there's gifts given. Yes, you're happy, but there's joy because you know there's a gift given you didn't even deserve it or earn it. Right? We use that a lot as a picture of the gospel of Christmas. We give gifts. Um, representing the greatest gift ever given to us and that is in the person of jesus christ a free gift that we just need to reach out and to and to accept and to say thank you for but not something that we earned but it's great joy at christmas do you remember a special present maybe that you got that was just you know you were just overcome with joy you know i remember getting my first um Uh, my first uh, train set. It was one of those where you you put it on, it it goes all the way around, it glows in the dark. I just remember, isn't that amazing? I just have these vivid memories. I just remember seeing it there, I just couldn't believe it. You know, I love um, that movie, The Christmas Story, that you see every year, you know, with Ralphie, right? And, uh, boy, what does he just want? He wants that BB gun, right? That rifle. He shoots your eye out, I know. But, man, is he so overjoyed at the end when he finally gets that, you know? But um, just a great picture of joy. But also weddings. One of, the, one of my most favorite things to do as a pastor is to officiate a wedding. And you get to go through that process of meeting with the couple and, and uh, the bride and groom. And you get to, to learn about them and know them and talk to them about um, you know, about marriage and biblically what that looks like and what does God expect. But then that day comes, man, it is so full of, full of joy. I remember, uh, it's 25 years ago now, I remember Claudia walking in. And I just remember seeing her, and obviously I'd seen her many times before, but I'm up there at the front, and she walks in in her beautiful gown. Of course, the first time I've seen her, my jaw literally dropped. I had no words to say, right? No words to say. But I mean, you talk about joy, that's like complete joy. It goes way beyond happiness. right? But weddings are are occasions that are full of joy. And so if you look at um, John 2, verses 1 through 11... It's really interesting because you're going to see this is a scene of a wedding. And it's a scene where there's supposed to be great joy and celebration. And in John chapter 2, just verses 1 to 11, it'll be up there for you. This is the wedding at Cana where Jesus performs His first miracle. Remember that? It's His first miracle where He turns the water into wine. But what's interesting is maybe we, uh, we kind of forget about the context here about what's going on. So let's read the story and then I'll just kind of summarize why I think this is a great picture of joy for us as a fruit of the Spirit. So on the third day there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding and his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. The master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, uh, wait, did we, I think we skipped something there. Didn't we? Okay. That's right. Where did we leave off here? Verse 5, thank you. Uh, his mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification. It's important to note each holding 20 or 30 gallons, Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water, uh, now it had become wine and did not know where it came from. Though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast, he called the bridegroom, And he said to him, everyone serves the good wine first, and then when the people have drunk freely, then the poor wine, but you have kept the good wine until now. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. It's really cool, uh, this story, because Jesus even tries to tell his mother and says, it's not time yet. For me to sort of, you know, let the world know who I am. It wasn't time yet. But why was his mother pleading? So you have to understand, weddings back in Jesus' day, they would normally last at least a week. There was a lot of food and celebration. The family provided that. There was really no honeymoon. The the bride and groom and the family kind of opened their home and people would come and go all week. How would you like to have that happen? People just coming and going. People from the town, you hardly even know. I don't like that guy. And he's coming into your house, you know, drinking all your wine, eating all your food, but that's the way it worked. And here they ran out of wine. Man, that is, that's like a, a social no no. You know, he's just running out of wine. So she's like, desperate Jesus, you know, asking your son, we've run out of wine. That means there's going to be a lot less joy at the feast. Now, we also know back then, most likely the wine wasn't as strong as it is today. And um, it took a lot more for people to get drunk. But it was just, you know, it was it was more of the celebration. It's like, of course, it was much more common to drink wine. So they needed the wine there. And so Jesus does perform the miracle. But look at the, look at what he does, right? He represents joy. Jesus brings the joy to the party. Because oftentimes in Scripture wine is used to symbolize joy it really is and so he knows he's going to um to perform this miracle he doesn't only uh change the water into just like a table wine it's the choicest wine it's the hundred dollar a bottle wine right and the master of the house like i can't believe you, you did this you saved the best line the best wine to last but jesus did that he is the best for us but look at also this Those big barrels were used for water, it says, for ceremonial cleaning, right? So the Jews would have this as a big part of their lives is that they would use the water to wash up It's a big part of their ceremonial life. But look at the symbolism there that Jesus turns that water that they thought was cleansing them and making them right before God, he turns it into wine, which represents his life, his blood, that blood now. Right? cleanses us from all our sins. Is that not awesome? But that is true joy. Of course, joy in the gospel, knowing what Christ did. And just a little while after the message, we're going to have this time of remembrance, the Lord's table, and we will take bread and we will take the cup. And Jesus says, this cup represents the new covenant in my blood. So Jesus brings joy to the party. Uh, number three, peace. So it's love, joy, it's peace. I have shared many times my story of struggle with peace. Um, When I struggled with, um, and struggle with depression and anxiety, and I'll share my story again sometime soon, but I've shared it many times and, you know, um, going back 15, 16 years, just dealing with the severe depression and anxiety, and I know many of you I've talked to uh, struggle with that as well or have people that are close to you. I mean, it, it, it's just so prevalent in the churches. We need to be able to talk about it. Because you know what? There is true peace in Christ. But oftentimes, if we're dealing with those kind of struggles, that we can just lose that focus and perspective on peace. And I remember all I could do in, in my in my illnesses and struggle was to get peace was to recite the Word of God. That is what really brought me peace. When nothing else that normally would be able to calm me down or bring me a true peace, it was the Word of God. We're supposed to be representatives of the Prince of Peace, aren't we? Blessed are the peacemakers. So we are supposed to be people of peace. Look at Philippians 4, 6, and 7. What a great passage, a couple of verses that talk about peace It's one I've shared before as well. Many of you have memorized it like I have. But he says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving present or let your requests be made known to God. And then here's the promise. If you do that, if you just pray with thanksgiving, the peace of God, which transcends or surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and mind in christ jesus it's a promise of peace if we simply come before the lord and let him know what's on our heart and we do it with joy and thanksgiving recognizing what he's already given us we'll be blessed with that peace a peace we truly won't even be able to understand that people in the world won't be able to understand and they'll ask you how do you have such peace in the time of a storm you say it's a supernatural peace Right. How about patience? Love, joy, peace, and patience. You know, I saw a bumper sticker once it said, I have no time for patience. <laughs> right? It's kind of like the motto in our society, right? I have no time for patience. Right? But it, it means um it means being long suffering, long tempered. It means that you know you understand the severity of a situation and you have the maybe the right to be angry and frustrated. But you hold that back, uh, kind of goes along with self-control, but it's about being long tempered uh, in our society. We might say, you know, just chill, calm down, relax, right, chill out. We have all these great words for that. Just you know, you know, just calm down, you know but um, uh, it's, um, it's really kind of, we might say, keeping your head and, tr- and trying situations. It's about being uh, patient. And waiting on the Lord. It's uh, when we are patient, we leave room for God to do His thing. Because when we act out of impatience, right, then we're kind of doing our own thing, right? And we're taking control of the situation um, as uh, we should be letting the Lord do His thing. So James 5, 7 through 11 is a great passage on patience. You should mark that down in your notes. It's up here for us. Here's what it says in James. We went through this book, so you might remember it when we went over it. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. And he gives an example. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit. There's that word again. Precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Right? Right? Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. And as an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. It's a great example of patience, the prophets. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You've heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Awesome, right? A great picture of patience. He says, Remember Job, remember the prophets. Remember the prophets, how they spent many years proclaiming the word of God, and the people just would not listen. Do you have people in your lives that you've been sharing the gospel with and living it out before them, and they just refuse to be open to hear or to see? The Lord is calling us to be patient. But he says to be patient. And to wait on Him. What a great passage that is. Reminding us to just wait upon the Lord. To be long-suffering. And to recognize that patience is one of those rare fruit of the Spirit. That He will exhibit within us as we walk with Him. Next would be kindness. Now kindness is really the same as being merciful. Right? We know that's also... Um, and the Beatitudes, you can see a lot of comparisons, if you haven't already, between the Beatitudes in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount and the fruit of the Spirit. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. So kindness is like mercy. And it's really more than just doing kind things. It's being a kind-hearted person. You see the difference? Because I think we can do kind things with the wrong heart attitude. But being kind has a lot to do with the attitude of the heart and our intentions. Look at Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, it will be up there for you. Just a great uh, story of the rich man. I think many of us are familiar with that story, but we see what, um, what he says in Mark 10 about the rich man. I just want to read verses 17 to 27 just to, the, um, just to, to get the gist of that story. It says, uh, as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him. This is Jesus, of course, and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, uh, I think I skipped over, didn't I? I did, I'm sorry. All right, let's backtrack. Kindness, kindness. I was looking at that. I'm just like, no, that's for goodness. Um, I want to look at Psalm 23. How about that? That's better. We're talking about kindness. Kindness. You know it's interesting as you look at um if you look for that psalm 23 i was getting so excited about goodness i skipped right over it uh psalm 23 right many of us we can um recite this but what a great picture of kindness the kind-hearted god at, pictured as a shepherd a shepherd is pictured in scripture as being kind to the sheep we know jesus is called the good shepherd to us because he guides us, he cares for us, he takes care of us. Did you know that um, you know when we talk about unfortunately, when people we know have cancer, right we talk about is, uh, let's if they have a tumor, is it benign or malignant? Well, this word for kindness actually has within that uh, within the root meaning and root word, this idea of benignity or being benign, which when we talk about in a cancerous tumor, it means that it is friendly. Meaning that it is there, but it is not causing harm, as opposed to malignant, which means from that word malign or to speak ill against or to do harm to. So this word is the opposite of malignance or to malign. It is kindness, it is being um, kind hearted. So look at Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Probably the most popular psalm. But what a great picture of a kind-hearted shepherd. We know Jesus is our shepherd, and he teaches us through his Spirit how to be kind and how to have a kind heart like his. Let's move on. Goodness, here we are now. Goodness, it means being righteous or upright. It means doing the right thing for the right reason. This is also an attitude of the heart. It has to do with our intentions. Now, we can look at Mark 10 and the story of the rich man. Because here is a man who approaches Jesus, right? And, uh, you know, we know the story. He approaches Jesus and asks him a very important question. And it says this, in this story, it says, As he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him, this is the rich man, and asked Jesus, He says, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. You know all these things. And he said to him, Teacher, All of these I have kept, even from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor. Then you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, With man it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. Here's why I chose that. Because the rich man was trying to be good on his own, wasn't he? By keeping all the commandments. But Jesus said to him, okay, you did all that. Now go sell everything you have, everything that you gain because of your goodness, and come follow me. We have to notice that. He doesn't only say sell everything you have, get rid of it, lay it all aside, he says, come, follow me. Because that is where we get the goodness. Basically, Jesus is saying, you cannot be good on your own. It only comes from God. So he says, with man, it is impossible. Yes, it's impossible to be good apart from God within you. Because he says, with God, all things are possible. Faithfulness. Faithfulness is really integrity. It's about Believing and trusting, you know in Ephesians six we don 't have to go there, but you know in ephesians six there's that famous passage about um, the armor of God, and you remember what the shield is? It is the shield of faith. you know what's interesting is that uh, in the Roman times, their shield was really the most common shield was much more than just a shield you would see about this big. I have one in my office on the wall, and it 's about this big. you know normally, we would think of a Roman soldier holding a shield and a sword. But the most common kind of shield that they had was about the size of a door. It was maybe four to six feet high, right? And they would carry that around. And they would still have their their sword, but they would carry that around because why? It would cover them completely. Because the shield of faith, you see, faith is the first line of defense, and it covers you completely. Maybe you've seen this depicted in movies, but oftentimes the soldiers if they were under attack, they would get together and they would hunker down like in a circle. They would put all their shields up, right? All around a circle and it would be impenetrable because those shields were huge. Maybe just as tall as they were. Because faith is that first line of defense, right? And it defends us, the faith does, against things like doubt and things like fear. And we know that we cannot please God without this faith. So, of course, we're going to look at Hebrews 11. Now, it's a long passage, it's the whole chapter, all right? So if you just want to mark it down, it's not going to be up on the screen for you because it's too much to go over. But I just want to skip through a, a few um, verses from Hebrews 11. You can certainly turn to it if you want. Um, but what a great passage. We also we often call it um, the passage about faith or the heroes of the faith because the uh, author and writer of Hebrews He gives a lot of great examples. So if you have never done it before, please read through Hebrews 11. It'll give you a great understanding of this idea of faith in the life of a believer. And again, just skipping around, he says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. He goes on, he says, by faith Abel offered a sacrifice to God. By faith Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. In verse uh, 6, without faith, it is impossible to please him. In verse 8, he goes, by faith, Abraham obeyed, right? Verse 17, by faith, Abraham, again, about him being tested with sacrificing Isaac. Verse 23, by faith, Moses, when he was born, right? Verse 29, by faith, the people crossed the Red Sea. He goes on and on, by faith, Rahab, by faith, The walls of Jericho came down. Look at verse 32. And what more shall I say? Isn't that funny? He goes on and on and on. He's like, what else am I going to say? He's like, who else can I give you? He says, for time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets. He goes on and on. So he mentions all of these people from the scriptures. And he says, you know what? These were people of faith. That is how they please God. So let's remember what it says in Hebrews eleven six: Without faith, it is impossible to please Him. Because as a fruit of the Spirit, as we are walking with the Spirit, we will be people walking in trust and in belief and in faith in the Lord. Two more: gentleness and self control. I'll do these together. We're running out of time because we uh, we still want to to uh, remember the Lord's table together. But here's gentleness and self-control. The important thing to remember about gentleness as the fruit of the Spirit is that it really is the same as humility. The words pretty much mean the same thing. So gentleness in your notes, you can mark down humility in capital letters there. I, you know, I, I talk about humility a lot because, man, what a key it is to living the Christian life is to remaining humble. You can, solve your, you can, you can save yourself a lot of problems if you were to just act more humbly. If we we're to just be humble before God and before others, recognizing that He is God and we are not, and we are not to sit in judgment of other people, but we are to act humbly, thinking other of others first before ourselves. Okay, and of course, a great passage. I'll read a part of it from Philippians chapter two, verses one through eleven. This is the perfect passage, I think, to look at um, Christ's example of humility. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. See, there's humility. He emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name that at the name of jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that jesus christ is lord to the glory of god the father we should be humble like christ was humble even to death on the cross in his obedience and humility but it's all for the glory of god so let's remember when it says a fruit of the spirit is gentleness it means that we are to Approach people and approach our God with humility. And finally, self-control. Perhaps the most difficult fruit to allow the Holy Spirit to uh, bear in us. I think of somebody like Samson. We won't read all about his life, but Samson was um, noted to be you know, one of the strongest men ever to have lived. But he also, in all for all of his physical strength, was a man in many ways who lacked self-control, right? He gave in to his impulses and his desires. You know when you go into the food store and they have the gum and the candy and those wonderful magazines with all those great pictures on them and and all those true stories about the aliens visiting Hollywood and all that stuff, right? And you know, there's what are those called? They're called impulse items, right? That's what they're called. And of course, the people that run the store, they put them there for a reason. They know where everything is laid out in the store for a reason. The milk and the eggs are in the way back corner so you have to walk through the whole store to get them. Am I right? But of course, these impulse items are right there because you're waiting online, right? And the more that you look at that magazine, you're like, yeah, I should probably buy this. Or the more that, no, you guys don't do that? Okay, good, good, all right. Or you see that candy bar there. Then then I see a lot of heads on it, right? And you're looking like, yeah, I'm hungry. You got a whole basket full of food. I need that Milky Way, you know? Yeah, I need that. I'll take that. It's there for a reason. It's that impulse, right? It's to to really get at your base desires. And that's unfortunately what did in somebody like Samson. But you know, when we talk about self-control, having self-control really comes from a position of strength, like knowing that you're in a position of power, but yet you choose not to give in to those desires. Like you, you have that ability to withhold and to hold back. And we know that's such a big part of living the Christian life, isn't it? Maybe there's a reason. He starts with love and then he ends with self-control and self-control. It's Kind of like you're reading through that. Yes, love and joy and peace and self-control. Oh, man. But the important thing to remember, of course, is that it is the fruit of the Spirit and it is not our fruit. That's the most important thing. Because we have to allow the Holy Spirit who inhabits the hearts of believers to lead and to guide us. And our job there simply is to let them. We do that by prayer. We do that by reading God's Word, learning more about Him the, and, and what he, he gives to us, those supernatural powers. Because we cannot live that victorious Christian life that we seek in this wor- natural world in a natural way. Because when we are... Uh, when we become believers in Christ and followers of Him, we become Christians, we are made supernatural, right? Our spirits are made new. We have these supernatural powers of the Spirit. And these fruit are the evidence of the Spirit living within us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Let's pray. Father, thank You for um, the way that You bless us the way that you uh, watch over us. We thank you, God, for the blessing of your word this morning, that we can be reminded of what it means uh, to be fruitful, to multiply, that we would be attractive, that we would be um, good representatives of you in this world, that the world would see us and know us and know that there's something different because because we have this fruit that we are exhibiting. Lord, help us to grow. Grow us through your spirit. Help us to grow healthy and mature in Your Word and in our walk with You. And God, as we do that, the end result, just like a beautiful apple tree, the end result will be that attractive fruit. And God, that then, that seed that we plant, that seed that we plant would then go far and wide, and we would see others come to a saving knowledge of Christ as the promised Messiah. Father God, we thank You for that. And as we take this time now, in our closing moments, to just remember what You have done for us, we are reminded, as we take the bread, as we take the cup, we are doing this in remembrance of You, Jesus, our Savior, that You gave Yourself up for us. So God, bless us now in these moments as we remember this. Help us to take it to heart What it means that you came and died on our behalf. In your name we pray, amen.